podcast is sponsored by Wakunaga of America, makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, Kyodophilus Probiotics, and Kyo Green Powdered Green Drink Mix. All natural, healthy solutions to support your whole body well-being. Try their new Kyodophilus Pro Plus Symbiotic, Prebiotic, and Probiotics together for better gut health. Kyo means strength. Live a Kyo life. Hi, I'm Andrea Donsky, founder of NaturallySavvy.com and co-host of our Naturally Savvy podcast. And I am Lisa Davis, MPH health educator, co-host of Naturally Savvy and author of the book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex Memoir Cookbook Healthy Lifestyle Guide. At Naturally Savvy, we are here to help you make healthier lifestyle choices. So we are so honored that you are tuning in to listen to our podcast on a weekly basis. And we are here to engage you, have fun, and help you live your healthiest lifestyle. Now, on to the show. Naturally Savvy Podcast is sponsored by Morphus for Menopause. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. I have met so many people on Clubhouse. I know this is kind of becoming like the new intro, but seriously, I have met the most amazing women and men on Clubhouse, and it just thrills me to be able to bring them to Naturally Savvy. So today we've got the wonderful Nayasha Mutavayi, and she is a mental wellness coach. Hello, Nayasha. Welcome to Naturally Savvy. Hey, Lisa. Thank you for having me. So basically, I'll tell you a bit about my background. So um, my background is um, I initially trained as a mental health nurse, and then I went on and trained as a psychotherapist. So I'm still a registered psychotherapist. But then within my coaching world, it's about just helping people with their day-to-day mental wellness. So we don't go into therapy, but it's just about how can I support you in the here and now, you know, with your day-to-day challenges? How is it that, you know, let's think about what's going on. So it's almost like you're, I give people strategies, you know, I just like to help people with common sense, if that makes sense about what is really going on here without the, sort of psychotherapeutic terms because I think sometimes they can be quite off-putting and I think a lot of people as well wouldn't naturally come to me as a psychotherapist because I think there's this whole stigma around therapy and I found as a mental wellness coach I think people find that easier to digest you know to be able to sit down with someone and just say you know what this is what I'm struggling with how can you support me to get through this um and, and so that's the work I primarily do at the moment, um, supporting people in leadership roles uh, with their mental wellness. But when did you know that you wanted to get into the field of psychology and mental health? Oh, God. That, so that's so interesting. So I trained as a mental, uh, mental health nurse teen initially, and that was more of, actually, I needed a job. What could I do? So I went into mental health. And then I remember working in what they call a therapeutic community with ladies with um, a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And for the first time, they weren't using medication as their number one mode of treatment. And they actually sat down with these women and they would talk to them, right? And that's when I was introduced to talking therapies. And this this went against everything that I had learned in my training because it was highly um, quite... It, it was the medical world, isn't it? Everything was medication. You know, if there's a problem, let's give them a tablet, let's give them an injection. And when I worked in this therapeutic community, I'm like, I like this. We can actually talk and really deal with the problem without having to medicate the problem. So that then led me to think about, oh, how can I do more of this? 
And then I met a psychotherapist who was in training at the time. And so she said, oh, this is what I'm doing. Why don't you come along? And um, I think they had an open day and they talked me through what therapy was. And so I signed up. So I was like, this is great. But what I hadn't factored in was that I had to go into personal therapy myself. So that was a shock to me because um, I walked in and my lecturer says to us all, okay, this is day one. All of you need to go into personal therapy for the next four years every week. And I'm like, no, I've had no therapy. I've, I've had no trauma in my life. My mom and dad like have been together forever. You know, there's no drama in my life. What am I going to talk about in therapy? Right. <laughs> and so I had to go about looking for a therapist. And the interesting thing again about this world was that when I set about looking for a therapist, I was very specific on what I wanted. I wanted a black therapist. I wanted a, per a therapist from like African heritage. Cause I thought, you know what? They're going to understand me. They're going to see me. They're going to hear me. And guess what? There were no black African therapists anywhere near me. Zero. Right. I'm like, okay, I'm screwed here. What am I going to do? So I remember meeting the first therapist that I saw. Um, and he was what we call a psychoanalyst and psychoanalysts. If you know anything about psychoanalysts, they hardly say a word or two to you. They get you to, they want you to just sit in your silence and it just come naturally. Right. And I really struggled with that because I'm naturally an introvert. And if you want, because I can sit in silence, and, but, but, but you'll get nothing out of me. So I remember leaving the session and I thought, if this man thinks I'm going to come in here and sit for an hour and pay him for him to say five words to me, that's not going to happen. But later on, on that day, I had, um, I had a session booked in with another therapist and I remember driving to his, um, to his home and he worked from home and this was a white middle-class six foot two gentleman. And I thought, and he lived in a beautiful home, right? And I thought, you're not going to get me. I don't even know why I'm coming. So I was like, oh, fine. You know what? I'm here now. I might as well walk in and, and see what happens. Um, and this man, like, blew my mind. I went in with all these judgments around, about him. And I remember in the first session, he started rapping to Biggie Smalls. Oh, in really? Yeah. And I'm like, no. It, it was as if, like, I'm like, why are these words coming out of your mouth? This does not fit, right? So that really threw me. But what it does, it also got me to step into the relationship because I became curious. And I'm like, you're different. There's something about you. You don't make sense. Um, and four years later, he was my therapist. And till now, he's my supervisor. Um, wow. And this man taught me so much about being black, about being an African woman that I wouldn't have found if I had gone with my initial gut instinct, which was go and find someone that looks like you, that sounds like you. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's amazing. Honestly, it was really shocking. I, and I think it's, I learned so much about how we're all judgmental, right? We all walk around with judgments and sometimes the thing that we want is not the thing that we need. Right. Um, and what I loved about my journey in therapy was he challenged a lot of the things that I would put down to 
or it's a cultural thing, you know, because he would sit there and like, no, what do you mean? And like, no, this is what we do in my culture. And he's like, no, but what does that mean? How does that make sense to you? How is that impacting on your life? And honestly, he really got me to take a step back and think actually, what does it mean? Right. Cause a lot of the things was things that I was just doing on a day to day basis. Um, just because that's how we did things. And I had never questioned anything. So four and a half years later, weekly therapy, I went in as one woman and I came out a totally different woman. Um, yeah. And then obviously I quit my nursing job and then I started working as a therapist. And then as I was working as a therapist, what I was finding is I was working with, um, a lot of sort of leaders and CEOs. And what I found is they would only come to me at rock bottom, you know, like a crisis would hit like something mega, you know, and last or they've lost their job or something. And that was the only time they'd come and see me. And then I began to think about actually, what if I could find a way of reaching out to these people before they get to that crisis point? Right. And that's so key. Right. And what I learned was that the therapy word, like it was, I don't know, it was like a bad word. It was like, you could not talk therapy (laughs) with these leaders, CEOs, because there's a stigma attached to it. And it's like, no. However, when I stepped in as a coach, they welcomed me with open arms. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? So bizarre. Um, Yeah. And I think it's, the reason why I work with them as well is because I think for the most part, they're missed because on paper, they seem to have it all, you know? And when I work with them on a one-to-one, honestly, they're like you and me. And I think sometimes the saddest thing is that you seem to have it all, but you're heartbroken, you know, but you're not happy. Um, You still have the same struggles, but you almost, don't feel like you can speak up because how can you when everything looks great on paper, you know? And, and so it's that journey where, yeah. And and they really allow me into their lives and, you know, they really strip everything down and kind of be like, yeah, um, things are hard, you know, but obviously who do I speak to? I'm on my own. The higher you go, the lonely it becomes and people don't get it, you know? And sometimes it's almost this battle of, I'm not justified to talk about my struggles because I own six figures, I own seven figures or whatever. Then how then can I struggle with my personal relationships at home? Because I'm thriving in this area, but suck in this area, those worlds together. When you went to therapy, did you discover that actually, even though it seemed like, you know, my parents are together, everything's fine. Were you able to be like, Oh, wait a second. And I think that was part of that. Well, that's just the culture. Were there things that maybe upset you as a child, but you kind of just saw it as, well, that's just what we do, right? And were you able to get into like the feelings around it? Yeah. So I think the biggest surprise to me during my sort of process around therapy was that most times people think of trauma as the big things, the mega things, you know. But in my experience is worse, the micro traumas, as it were, you know, those constantly feelings of being missed off. I can't say that off, you know, especially being a black woman as well. And in a 
predominantly male dominated environment and I was the only girl in my family with three older brothers so very much a tomboy and and it's that sort of um how I was silenced but not in a way of being beaten up because I think I've only been slapped once by my mom right and that's shocking for a lot of people because like that's just how things happen you know back home my right? kids are beaten up right um but I was only slapped once but for me that was so significant because i think the relationship between me and my mom changed how old were you i was 13 i was 13. remember what it was about yeah because i challenged her on something i remember i said why why can't i do that because to me it just didn't make sense and it was more of you don't challenge me right so it was a silencing but in that silencing what it also did was it silenced my voice from that point going forward. So I'd even find whether it was in relationships that I would feel a certain kind of way, but I wouldn't feel able to speak up. And even at work, you know, things would happen, but it was like, I can't say that it's going to be okay. You know? And so it was those little things that I hadn't done the maths to say, this is why I am the way I am. Right. And it was only, and we had to kind of go full circle with my mom that I think at the age of, I don't know, 30 or something, I remember we had a standoff with my mom. And at that point, this was after therapy. And I remember um, thinking, I'm not going to back down this time around. And, and she, she said something that really hurt me. And I remember saying to her, if you don't apologize, me and you are never going to speak again. And I was ready for that at that point, because I think it was that feeling of, I'm not going to let you silence me this time around because you're not playing fair. And now I'm old enough to know that you're not playing fair. And and I'd done the work in therapy. And it was a time when I'd literally, I was flying out. I'd gone to see my mom in Zimbabwe and my parents in Zimbabwe. And she had been upset about something. And I remember her saying some really harsh words to me um, because she was upset. And I and what I, I remember crying and I remember saying to her, I can't believe you're going to pick a fight with me when you know I'll be flying out in less than four hours. And this is the time that you're picking to say these horrible things to me. And I remember saying to her, I'm not going to call you unless you apologize for what you've just said. And we went for the longest time without speaking. We went for a good um, three months or so where she didn't ring and I wasn't going to ring. I was ready at that point. And I remember, and that was the first time my mom ever apologized to me at the age of 30. Yeah, that was the first time um, she apologized to me and honestly, it changed the trajectory of our relationship. And I think for me, that was the point where she stopped seeing me as a child and as a woman. And I think it's that sort of dance that you have where you're always a child in your parents' eyes, right? No matter what you've achieved. And it didn't matter what I'd done in my life, in my career. But to her, I was always, because I'm the youngest in the family as well, I was always the baby, right? And it was like, you had no voice you know, but at the same time, it was okay for you to ring me and ask me for certain things that were very adult. But when it came to me disagreeing with you, 
on a subject that wasn't allowed. So, um, yeah, so I remember her ringing me and saying, I shouldn't have said what I said to you and I'm really sorry. And that was huge. That was huge for me. And what it did for me was it freed me up in so many other ways. And I think, like, because I think that's your primary relationship, isn't it? And what it does, it frees you to own your own voice in every other aspect. And I found, I remember <laughs> dating a guy at the time and um, he was really struggling with the relationship with his parents. And he was like, let's run away together because this is not going to work. They're not going to listen to me. And I remember thinking, I've done the work with my parents, right? I'm not going to run with you, right? It's either you stand up and you do the work with your parents because I've done it. If not, then it's just not going to work between us. Um, and I don't think he ever did. And we ended up breaking up anyway because of that, because he was so afraid, afraid of his mom. And I just remember thinking, I'm not going to have that repeat sort of scene within my life. So I've done the work for me and it's time that you do the work for yourself. So yeah, so that was interesting as well about um, how you almost kind of need to go back to source, you know, to your parents and do the work. And that frees you up to kind of step into the world and become more adult in every area of your life. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I'm sad because I never got to do the work. My mom died when I was 28. Mm. And there's so much that I never said. And I have gone to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I've worked through a lot. But it's really tough. So I'm really glad that you had that moment with your mom. You know, I want to get back to something you said earlier about when you have an idea about a therapist, because I'd love for you to offer a little bit more on that, because I do think that people have an idea in their mind of who they want to talk to. Yeah. So with hindsight now, um, I think that one, you want someone you can speak to someone that just makes you comfortable. And I think when I look back to that first session I had with him, like on paper, he was a big guy. Like he's like six foot two, right? Like he's a big guy. He, sh he should scare me, but he didn't. I felt so safe in his presence. And it was just me and him in this massive house. I mean, well, in my mind, maybe, maybe there were people, but you know what I mean? That I think there's a woman going in. So I think for me, it's about, I always say to people, go and meet the person. Get a sense of how you feel when you're around them. Do they make you feel safe or do they intimidate you? What is the energy you're getting from that person? And then he listened as well. So he wasn't trying to say to me, oh, no, this is how you do it, or I understand this, or whatever. To him, it was more, he was curious about me. He was interested in me, um, and, he held, and he held space for me in a way that, you know, there's something about, you know, when you go on a really good date, and you can tell that this person is really present, and they're really listening to you, and and they're not trying to rush you. They're kind of actually saying, help me get to know you. And that's what I got from him. And also I wanted someone who was direct because I, I wanted someone who, because for me, there's something about, I needed to know that if I pushed against you, you would stay solid. And so for me, I think 
that his physicality helped because I, you know, psychological, I thought, okay, you're strong enough for me. That was so important because I'd had experiences, um, before where I felt like I was too big. I was too much, you know, for that exchange. And I didn't want to feel that because if I was going to do the work and if I'm having to take care of you, then I'm not going to do the work. So I needed to know that you could take care of me in order for me to do the work. So that was really important for me. And I loved his directness because I knew that he wasn't going to let me get away with stuff. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, that's important. That is so important, right? But then I also know that there's certain people that run away from people like that because they don't want to do the work. So I think it's about having that honest relationship with yourself about why am I going into therapy? Do I want someone who just agrees with me or do I want someone who's going to offer me a different perspective? I learn so much more from people with a different perspective to me because yeah, it's a different perspective. I only know what I know. And if I had gone to another sort of Zimbabwean therapist or black therapist, we're probably going to share the same ideas around stuff. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But in that moment, because he was genuinely challenging some of the things because some of the things I was saying to him didn't make sense to him because it was a totally different world. I needed to hear that. And what that did for me was actually get me to stop in my tracks and think, why are you saying that? Is this true? Is this real? And, and I would say certain things to him and then he would offer a different perspective that have you thought about it this way? And that really helped me. You know, and especially the whole idea around what love is, you know, and, and to me it was, you know, as children love. So for instance, another thing that I'll talk about was, um, my parents only like my mom only started saying, I love you to me, like in the last sort of eight years, if not. Yeah. It wasn't, it's not a thing. It's really not a thing. And, but I knew my parents loved me, like without a shadow of doubt, but it wasn't words that I would use. So even when I was in relationships with guys and, you know, guys would be like, I love you. I'd be like, oh, that was awkward. And, and I would be the girl that was like, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and They love that, right? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, these men would look at me and be like, what's wrong with you? Right. But to me, you are telling me how you feel about me. Okay but I don't have to say those words back to you. And I think a lot of that was because one, I wasn't taught how to say those words. I didn't know to me, words were just words. They had no meaning. Make me feel like you love me. Show me that you love me was almost what my love language was. But then I think, you know, through therapy, I was kind of learning about, you know, what is love and what isn't love, you know? And, you know, when, your mother slaps you when you've challenged her about something, is that love? Or is there a different way of expressing the same idea without the physicality involved? Right. And I was like, Oh, okay. But I'd never questioned it. I'd never thought about it like that because everyone around me, their parents would beat them up, slap them or whatever. It was just a thing that happened. It wasn't a big deal. It was only, through looking back and thinking, oh, okay. So I think it's that when you have someone who has got a different life experience to you 
and that's not to say their life experience is perfect, but I'm just saying they give you a different perspective that was going to help you to think actually, what is it that I want to hold on to? What do you want to change and how do I want to progress with my life? So just bring, so for me, I look at it as bringing the best of both worlds. Um, yeah. And that's, and that really has helped me in my growth. And that's what I look for. You know, I, yeah, I want to learn from people that have had different experiences to me. That's where I think the richness is for me. Yeah. Do you find that clients who've had therapy versus clients who haven't, do you find differences in that or are they open about that? Do you ask them, have you been to therapy? Uh, I'm just curious because I would think that somebody who's done therapy might have more insight. Not always, but I'm just curious. Is that something that's come up with any of your clients? Yeah. So to be honest, most of my coaching clients haven't done therapy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the reality. I think it is a taboo subject, honestly, you know, and it's not something that, and I kind of go in with the whole idea of actually this is not going to be therapy because I think people are going to know my background. They're like, you know, you're a psychotherapist and everything else. And I was like, no, this is not going to be therapy. Cause I think from my experience, people are really scared of themselves. They're really scared to see what they're going to find out when they actually do the work because it's layered, you know, even when definitely, I, yeah. You know what I mean? Even when I do like start work with my, my, my therapy clients, I think for them, it's almost there are times where, we're going there, you know, we kind of need to go there and they freeze, they freak out um, or they cause a distraction. They cause a a different crisis so that we just don't go there, you know, so we have to deal with that. Right. And sometimes it takes a good year for us to actually do the work that they came into therapy for, because it is scary, it is uncomfortable. And sometimes people need that time to build that relationship with you, to trust you, so that, you know, for them to know that you can hold space for them and actually it's going to be okay. And so they almost kind of need to come for that amount of time in order for them to then take the next step into the work that they need to do. So, yeah, so a lot of the coaching clients, no, they're not into therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Could you give us an example of of some of the things that you work on? No names, of course, but (laughs) with some of your coaching clients. So, for instance, it will be stuff like um, I'm really not um, having a good relationship with my partner at at work, you know, like uh, whether it's, you know, they run a company together, the co-founder, you know, so it's that is like they just don't get me. And, you know, I'm trying to explain this thing to me. They don't get me. And I just don't understand what it is that I'm missing. Right. And, and so part of that work is about how are you communicating for starters, right? What is the message? Are you listening to them? What are they saying to you? Because often someone has an idea and they're pressing on with their agenda, right? And they're not taking time to take a step back and allow the other voice to come in, you know? So sometimes we do things like role play, you know, about, or actually questioning that. And then they're like, oh, no, they're questioning my judgment. And then I give them a different perspective of, are they really? Or are they trying to guide you to make the best decision for the company? You know, and sometimes, you know, because I do relational stuff as well with them about personal relationships. So it might be that actually, you know what? 
I know how to make money, but my relationships suck, right? And then it's about what is that about? And then some of the conversation, what tends to come out is that they're seeing their partner as an employee, right? So they don't know how to have interpersonal relationships. And I'm kind of saying you cannot treat them like an employee because they're a partner or they're shutting down. So they're giving the physical stuff, they're giving the material things, but emotionally they're so detached from their partner. So the, the, the partner doesn't feel connected to them and they're like, I've given her everything. I don't know what the problem is, you know? And then I'm like, yeah, you've given them everything but you. You know, and sometimes it takes, and you know, some of them will say, you know what? You're the only person that can say that to me. And what that tends to suggest is they surround their pe- the, themselves with people that say yes to them, isn't it? And so, and sometimes they are desperate to want to hear the reality, but because the people around them, I mean, they pay their wages and stuff. So, so they're not really going to challenge them, are they? And I think this is where the relationship that I have with my clients really works because they trust me because I'm not invested in anything. Not, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not invested in whether they stay with their partner or not, but I'm just giving them a different perspective of actually perhaps how about you do this or how are you taking care of yourself? Because if you're being really snappy with your employees or your relationships are breaking down, what's going on for you? So we talk a lot about self-care, you know, about you're working all these long hours. How are you making time for yourself? And what does that mean? How, how many hours are you sleeping? Right. And it's, it's conversations around that. So it's just about how can we keep you performing at an optimum level? What are the things that we need to do on a day-to-day basis that are going to help you to keep going so that you don't burn out, you don't stress out. So, yeah, so that's pretty much like the sort of work that we do. Um, yeah, so it's, I guess it's, I don't know, I guess I'm like the trusted advisor, you know, around. Yeah, I love it. Them, yeah. How's it been during COVID? I mean, it's been such a hard time. So stressful. I think, um, I think the biggest thing is sitting with uncertainty, right? It's about that not knowing and that can be traumatic in itself. So, you know, you're this leader and there's so much uncertainty going on and, People are looking up to you to have the answers. You don't have the answers. And it's that, isn't it? And I think a lot of leaders struggle with that, not knowing, because if I'm supposed to lead, I'm supposed to know it all, you know? And I think for me, it's about reminding them that you're human, you know, and you've got no control over this sort of world crisis. Everyone's in the same boat. So you need to show yourself compassion. And it's about also being showing empathy as well and humanizing yourself. Because I think, again, that's something that a lot of them really struggle with about saying, actually, I don't know the answers. You know, and I, you know, just reminding them that that's a strength and not a weakness. Because if people think you've got the answers and yet you don't have the answer, they're going to lose trust in you. But actually, if you can step up and say, actually, I don't have the answers, uh, but I'm going to do the best that I can to keep you informed when I do know more and that's all you can do and sitting with that. Cause I think uncertainty is huge, isn't it? You know, and I think even when you think about trauma, sometimes it's that uncertainty, you know, think about abuse. It's about uncertainty. When is it going to happen? When is it not going to happen? And sitting with that discomfort in your body 
And so we do a lot of things around meditation and mindfulness, you know, breathing exercises. How can we center you? You know, oh, that's nice. Yeah. It sounds like you work mostly with like high powered individuals, especially for my coaching. Yeah. It's yeah. Especially for my coaching. I do tend to work with um, high performers, corporate people. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's such a lonely world out there. Like, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, I'm just honored that I get to be that support system for them and just to have sort of normal conversations, you know, and just um, support them from behind the scenes. Oh, that's great. Now, do you do therapy as well at this? Okay, so do you ever fall? Do you ever like you have your therapy hat on and then you have to take it off and you put your coach hat on, but sometimes some of the therapy hat seeps in and you're like, oh, wait, coach hat. <laughs> Does it ever get a little confusing? Oh, I think um, so. My clients are very, very, very different. And also, what I do for me mentally is I see my therapy clients on one specific day a week, right? Okay. I know this is where I do therapy. And, and then my coaching clients, I see them on a separate day and, and everything is so different with the therapy clients because the therapy clients do not have access to me during the weeks and stuff like that. Whereas my coaching clients do, you know, my therapy clients, it's such a, um, how can I, uh, what's, what's the word I can't think of? I can't think of the word I'm trying to explain that it's so boundaried in therapy, very, very boundaried around therapy and and they lead right you know so I never know what they're going to come bring into session but with uh, my coaching clients they tend to come in with a specific goal that we're working on they get homework my therapy clients don't get homework (laughs) they get homework um and it's you know and and I think it's easy I can be more direct with my coaching clients around you said you're going to do this thing right what's going on, what's happening. So there's that whole accountability element. Whereas in therapy, it's about if a client, if we spoke about a specific thing last week and they come into session this week and they don't want to talk about it, it's up to them. I don't get involved in that because you know what? I think it's about trusting the process that they're going to get to wherever they're going to get to by whatever means necessary, right? And it might be that actually that was too much last week that they need to come and talk about something else this week. And so we do that. But because, and a lot of my therapy clients are open-ended. So I've had clients, I've got clients who I've worked with for two years, three years, right? But with my coaching clients, it's usually a 90-day package. So it's fast, in and out, you know? So they, oh, that's they, good. They, they do the work, they come, they go, they leave. Yeah. So it's totally different. Now, if somebody's trying to decide if they're listening and saying, well, you know, I did have a lot of trauma growing up, so I probably would want to do therapy, but then I also have things going on day to day. I also want to do coaching, but where should I go first? Like, how would you guide someone, let's say, who's had like a lot of trauma in their lives? Do therapy first. Do therapy first, 100%. And, and, and even in my coaching client contract, I specifically say that if we ever reach a point where I realize that actually what it is, you need therapy, we will discontinue and I'll refer you to someone else. I'll never take on a coaching client as a therapy client. Yeah, that would never happen. But I always say do the therapy because honestly, the therapy work helps you um, because some of the stuff that's happening in your day-to-day life is probably from the trauma you experience. That's what I was thinking. You know, And so it makes more sense to do the therapy work 
And then when you're in a really good place, then do the coaching because the coaching is more, I don't know, think of it as quite heady, you know, like it's, it's, it's heady sort of work. Like, what are we doing? What do you need to do? But therapy work is more feelings, more bodies, more, um, pay attention to what you're thinking and feeling, you know, what is it that we need to think about? You know, we, we deal with a lot of sort of, um, parallel process. We deal with a lot of sort of, um, Oh, how can I attachment stuff? You know, it's so complex and I think it needs a long-term piece of work. So I would say definitely do the therapy first and then do the coaching work because sometimes what the coaching work can do, it can trigger. If you haven't done the work, it will trigger you, you know, and, and then you'll be like, right, okay, maybe this person needs therapy. It hasn't happened to me so far, but yeah but I think it can be quite triggering, you know? So I think for me, I think the coaching is about high functioning for high functioning people. If you've had trauma and you know, you've had trauma, just do the work. Now, what do you, what do you like from each and, and how does it feed you like in different ways? So, um, I'm an Aries, by the way. So I I love the variety of work. You know what I mean? I get, I get bored easily. So the more variety I have, that's what feeds me. Um, I think what I love about the therapy work is you really get to know someone like deeply in a way. I mean, people share stuff with me that they've never spoken to anyone um, about and I'm honored, you know, and I sometimes I always think, you know what, I'm just so grateful and thankful that you're trusting me on your journey. Um, and I think that's a gift that I always thank God every day and say, you know what, not everyone has been given that gift where people can trust them to go there. And yeah. And so for me, that's the therapy work. It's deep. Um, it's painful. It's, uh, and I guess I always, um, and I think this is why sometimes having the other thing I would say is I wouldn't go to a therapist who's never been in therapy because there are some therapists who's never had therapy. Yeah. And, and also psychologists, psychologists definitely here in the UK, they are not expected to have gone into personal therapy, you know? And so I wouldn't do that. And I think for me, having been in that space and knowing what it's like, especially when you're kind of going deep and then, you know, you reach that moment in therapy where you, I remember crying for the first time in therapy with my therapist. I'd never cried. I mean, I was, in, I was so numb, so, so numb within myself. I never used to cry ever. It was for me, it was a sign of weakness. I never used to cry. And I think it took me a good year before I could actually cry in therapy. And, and it's that moment I remember crying in therapy and breaking down and feeling like my tears are never going to stop you know, of like, is this going to get better? And every time I see my clients get to that phase, you know, and I share my own process with them in that moment, it really helps because that's the moment where it hurts so bad. You begin to question, why am I even doing this work? But that's also the point where the change happens and 
you come out the other end and you are able to let go of what you need to let go of. You're almost crying the tears that you never cried before and you almost need to wash everything away. And it's that ability to hold someone during those times that I think is, is like, I just can't explain it. And I think without having experienced it yourself, you would miss it within that therapeutic alliance with the client. And I think that's where having been in therapy and being held in that space and driving into therapy and, and your tears start streaming. It's, it's that, that you're fine when you're leaving home, right? And you're driving to therapy and you're driving into like your therapist's street and the tears just start streaming down and you're walking in and you sit on the couch and like I'm back again and you just can't stop crying, right? thinking why am I here right and you really want to quit like you're desperate you really want to quit because you're like this is just too painful but then actually the more you go you're like oh it's getting better the tears aren't that bad you know and I think what it teaches you to do is realize that just because it hurts just now doesn't mean it's going to hurt forever but actually the sooner that I do the work the sooner I get to the other side and teaches you to almost like confront your fears, isn't it? And, and do the work on a day-to-day basis. So even now when stuff happens, I surrender. And I tell my clients that all the time, that learn to surrender to the process. There's something that you need to learn just now. There's a lesson for you. And if you don't do the lesson, you're just going to come back. You'll be here again. Because life is cyclical, you know, and I've had clients where they come back to me with the same issue because they never, they never get to that point. And I also describe it as it's a bit like having a nightmare. And I say to them, every time you have a nightmare, if you wake up in the middle of the nightmare, right, you're never going to know what's going to happen. So part of the trick is to sleep through that nightmare to see what happens. What if you get to safety? But if you keep waking up each time, the last memory you've got is of the nightmare. But imagine if you just stuck in there and shut your eyes and just allowed the nightmare, the dream to play out. What you realize is actually maybe someone saved you in the end. But you have to stay the course to get to that point. Okay. I I see you on international stages. Like you're so profound. <laughs> I'm completely enraptured. Okay. Now with therapy, you have to be within the same area, right? Or at least in the US. Like there was, I interviewed this therapist. I was like, Oh my God, he'd be perfect. But he was like in another state. I can't treat you. But as a coach or is it, you can treat anybody, right? Or you can work with anybody. Is it the same in the UK? We don't have the same rules as you in the UK, in, in the States. Oh, okay. So oh. as a therapist in the UK, because this is where I'm registered, I can work with anyone. Really? in the world yeah we don't have those issues that you guys have we we, we literally can work with anyone anywhere in the world um yeah so we don't have those restrictions yeah that's great well is there anything you wanted to add before you close and I definitely want to have you back I mean you're just a fantastic person <laughs> an amazing guest I'm so enthralled with you oh, Nyasha. I'm dear. just so happy we met on Clubhouse is there any last words for this episode but I definitely want to have you back 
<laughs> oh bless you no I mean I think I think if there's anything I just I just want to say thank you for having me and just to say to anyone listening that you know if you're constantly running away from yourself I always say you know you're the one person you're going to spend the rest of your life with right and get to know yourself you know allow whoever that person is within you and if stuff comes up you know, maybe it's just stuff that you just need to pay attention to. You know, acknowledge the stuff as opposed to ignoring. Don't push it down. Just acknowledge it. Okay. Hello. So you're here. So you're, so you're jealous. So you're envious. So you're angry. So you're upset, you know, cause I always talk about, um, with my clients that there's a little girl inside of me that sometimes remembers those moments when she didn't have a voice. And whenever she feels she can't speak up, I then, reparent her and kind of say you know what I've got you you know you can speak up and but it's about how I show her compassion and this is that self-care piece that I think we all need if there's one thing I want everyone to take away is make time for you you know make time to love on yourself make time to be caring towards yourself and the words that you say in your head you know what I mean um your best friend, become the most loving person you can be for yourself. You know, some people, you know, you hear people saying, oh, you're being an idiot. And I was like, I would never say those things to myself. Would you say that to a kid? Why would you say it to yourself? And I think what that does, it just reinforces all the historical stuff that you've heard repeatedly in your life, right? And I think be kind, be mindful of the things you consume, be mindful of the words that you speak to yourself. And be mindful of the people you surround yourself with. You know, um, just because they look like you and sound like you, they might not be the best people for you, right? And sometimes it's just about, think about how does this person make me feel? If they make you feel good about you, those that's your tribe. Stay within that tribe. That's your tribe. And yeah, and just self-care, self-love. And yeah. Oh, well, I'm just so thrilled you came on, Nayasha. I can't wait to have you back. In the meantime, how do people find you and work with you? Um, so I, if you go on my website, it's called nyasha at reconnectingwithmyself.com or you can find me on Instagram, which is Coach Nyasha. Um, and it's N-Y-A-S-H-A. And I've been saying Nyasha, but it's pronounced... Nyasha, but most people say, well, even when I introduce myself, honestly, it's easier for me to say Nyasha because people will hear that easier. So I don't mind at all. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Um, yeah. And I'm on Clubhouse as well. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.